Hello, everyone. This is John Otterstead and Bobby Darren for the Scarlet Nation podcast. This is episode two. Uh, after a very, very long multi-year hiatus from doing the podcast thing, we're happy to be back, though. We got some great feedback the first time around. Perhaps we are just talking to our Scarlet Nation faithful, but perhaps we're also reaching some new people through iTunes and other networks out there. And if you are new to ScarletNation.com, we encourage you to come on, check out our content, hang out on the football or basketball message boards. We even have a premium message board called The Roundtable, where our guests get to hang out and talk to our staff members at ScarletNation.com, ask questions, have us go out and find the information that you want, whether it's on the field, practices, talking to recruits, and anything else in the world of Rutgers football. Today, I am here with Bobby Darren, our do-everything editor. Bobby is – he has been with us for a long time. He knows a lot about Rutgers football and the state of football in the state of New Jersey. So, Bobby, welcome aboard again. Thanks for having me. Bobby, we're going to just start off by doing a quick little rundown of the message board. That was a popular feature last week, and I want to make sure I you know, touch on some of the topics that the fans are interested in. Uh, the first one is a post by Philofans, and he wanted to know what people, what the reasons were for believing that this year will be better than last year. And he told each person, choose one thing, which I thought was an interesting idea for a message board post, because often fans go on and on and on, which is fine. But here, when you had to bring it down to one reason to believe that this year will be better than last year, it brought up some interesting responses. So I'm going to throw that question at you right now. What's the one reason why the listeners to this podcast should believe that next year is going to be better than the previous year. I mean, it's tough to narrow it down, but if I had to pick one, I would say Jerry Kill. I think that Rutgers is going to be uh, tremendously better on offense. You look what happened with Ralph Friedgen in the one year that he was at Rutgers, and he really elevated the play of the Rutgers offense, including Gary Nova. And I think having Jerry Kill there replacing Drew Merringer, who was really kind of learning on the job, he didn't have a lot of talent to work with, but you could see that the offense really regressed through the year. So I think having Kill manning the helm now will really be a significant boost for the for the offense, for the team in, in general. I mean, you have a former Big Ten head coach of the year. Uh, Rutgers, you know, never had a coordinator like that. So it's really, uh, I think, uh, uh, I hate to be redundant, but it's a tremendous upgrade. And if I had to pick one thing, that would be my selection. I'm going to agree with you on that one. I think last year, Rutgers was trying to do the old round hole, square peg, square peg, round hole, whatever the phrase is, with Drew Merringer. I'm sure Drew's, you know, his system would work given different players, given a different team, given a different location, whatever. But last year was not the time to implement that style of play. And it just didn't really seem like he made the best use of the players that he had in front of him. And that's what I see different with Jerry Kill. I think Jerry Kill's coming in, he's assessing the talent pool, and he's going to craft an offense that's going to make the best use of the players that he has in front of him. Yeah, and you have a guy who's also been through this rebuilding phase before it, it's kind of been his mo a lot of the teams he's gone to really needed an upheaval in progress and he's done that he succeeded so there's a lot to look forward to this year for Rutgers fans you know i every time i read an article about jerry kill or i you know listen to him being interviewed i keep asking myself what's the style of play going to be under kill one minute we're talking about these running quarterbacks the next minute it's a drop back quarterback pro style and I guess that goes back to this thing that we were just talking about a moment ago, that he's going to t tailor the offense to the players that he has. But can you comment on a little bit about what you see him doing in the future? 
you know, I asked him that question and he said the offense is going to be multiple. And it, it seems almost cliche to say that, but it really is true. You see four wide receiver sets, you see a tight end split out, you see a fullback now. There's just a lot of different things he can do. And you have to remember, this guy's been coaching for a lot of years, so he has a big bag of tricks that he can reach into. So I think he's going to use that knowledge and experience to his advantage and run a lot of different things. I don't think you're going to see what you saw in the past with some offenses. I can remember the Frank Signetti offense where that fullback went in motion almost every single play, and you almost knew what was going to happen when, when uh, before the ball was even snapped. I could tell up in the press box, so I'm sure the other defenses who were more well-versed than I am really knew what was coming. I don't think this year defenses are going to be able to anticipate you know, the plays that are coming uh, the way it was done in the past. You mentioned the Signetti offense, and I'm going to go off topic a little bit here, but I just want to talk about the best or most exciting offense that you've seen since you've been covering the team. Now, what was your first year with us? First year was 2007, and there was a lot of expectations that year coming off the 2006 season. It kind of fell short. But I think the best offense that I saw was when Rutgers was clicking in the second half of that 2008 year when Mike Teal was just firing on all cylinders. Although I would have to say the 2007 season was fun to watch with Ray Rice. I've never seen a running back at the college level live in person um, just as good as he's been. He was just phenomenal the way he got stronger as the game went on. So I would have to say those seven and eight seasons. Now, looking down the message board, another topic that came up was the uniforms and uh, a poster named Ouch My Knee, which is a ridiculous screen name, but love it. He posted a photo of the new hat, which apparently the coaches were wearing at camp, according to Sean Brown, one of our ScarletNation.com writers. Uh, This hat features New Jersey prominently with a little star, I believe, where Rutgers would be. And apparently that's going to be a major feature, I guess, moving forward with the Adidas uniforms that Rutgers will now be moving towards and just the other wear, you know, shirts, hats, caps, whatever that will be sold in stores. I wanted to get your thought on the hat and just the ideas behind featuring New Jersey more prominently in the things that people are wearing around the state. You know, I think what's important to keep in mind that that will probably just be one of the hats that they wear. And in this new era of uniforms, there are multiple, not to be redundant again in terms of the office, but there's multiple uh, uniform combinations that can be used. And I think that is appealing to a lot of players and prospects and talking to a lot of players about that. They really like the whole uniform craze that's going on and all the different things. So I think that hat will just be one more part of the repertoire in these new Adidas uniforms. I don't think it'll take over the block R per se, but it will be something that could be worn at camps and just a little something to let people know that Rutgers is in New Jersey. I mean, you have people, you know, from the other side of the country, not too familiar with Northeast football. So, you know, it's a nice little twist. I'm not a huge fan of that hat. But I'll tell you one thing that I do like. I like the gray being instituted back into some of the uniforms and hats. Well, actually, I don't even know how much it's going to be in the uniforms. But the hat itself, I'm not a huge fan of the bright red hat, scarlet hat. Um, I often chose to go with a white cap back when I wore caps more often. Um, I do like the block R being featured prominently. And I'd hate to see that go in this cap. But once again, it's just one hat. There's going to be a lot of other things uh, out there for sale. And it's just gonna be interesting to see. Now it's a little, it's kind of exciting with Adidas coming on board to see what they're going to institute and how that's going to play out. 
Yeah, and I think you know, speaking uh, with some people at Adidas, they they said they'll get as crazy as as Rutgers wants to get with it. Uh, I don't think Chris Ash is going to go particularly overboard and and go Oregon type, but it's nice to be able to mix it up. And like I said, in this new era, that's what the players and prospects want. Now let's move on over to the coaching side um, and staffing. The addition of Omar Hales this week coming over from Temple. He's the director of recruiting communications. Let's start off by just asking, what is the director of recruiting communications? What, what does that job entail? That entails basically just communicating with recruits. A lot of different schools have a lot of different titles, and there's different structures the way it was run. Uh, you know, before when Greg Schiano and even Kyle Flood was here, Tarek Ahmad was the guy who was in charge of it. Now that role had kind of changed a little bit in the director of recruiting and Adam Katultry's role. Um, but Omar's role is basically just going to be to connect with the kids, get them on campus, and, and just make that connection. People recognize, or the prospects recognize him. They get along with him. He has a very good uh, rapport with them. I think it's a great move for Rutgers. And there's so many different titles you can pass around. But basically, he's going to be a guy that communicates with recruits, gets them on campus for visits, and, and really tries to make a connection with them. Well, speaking of the recruits, Brandon Savage, uh 2018 defensive back out of Mount St. Joseph's, Maryland, had something to say about uh, Coach Hales, and here's what he said. Coach Hales is a great guy. I've spoken to him via Twitter, and I talked to him when I went up to Temple's camp this past Memorial weekend. You can tell a lot of guys from Temple loved having him around. He was smiling the whole day, and you can tell that he really loves what he does. I think he'll fit in perfectly at Rutgers, and I wish him the best of luck. And I thought that was a, a nice endorsement of the new addition to the Rutgers staff. Yeah, like I said, he has a very good rapport already with recruits, and I can only see that getting better. Recruiting the Philadelphia area, he was big down in the DMV area, and now branching out to more parts of New Jersey, I, I think it's really going to work out well for Rutgers. Richie Schneiderite, our ScarletNation.com recruiting writer, he had something to say too. He said on the roundtable message board, during Saturday's camp, Hales was all over the place talking to a lot of kids and socializing. After chatting with him for a couple of minutes, both Sean and myself agreed he has that it factor. It is also obvious that he's a PA guy as he spent a lot of time with a couple of the top Pennsylvania recruits. But don't expect Hales' reach to be limited to the Keystone State as he's already developed relationships with prospects in other areas. Uh, once again, another great quote about Hales. And uh, I think that point about him having the it factor is something that we've talked a lot about on the roundtable over the years, because, in fact, it's something I talk about with Mike Teal later on in this podcast. I think coaching and whether it's uh, on the field coach or whether you're someone who's in the recruiting office, you either have it or you don't. You have that ability to connect with people and to connect with recruits or you don't. And I've seen it time and time again. You and I have both seen it. We've been to recruiting events where we've seen coaches mingling with the players and some have that knack for it and others don't and you know uh, the early reports are that Hales does have that it factor yeah and I mean it remains to be seen what he will do but it's very promising sign for Rutgers with the loss of Aaron Henry they're looking to really get another guy back who really makes that connection with kids and it looks like Hales might be it well I mentioned Mike Teal a moment ago, and I had a wonderful conversation with him earlier today. It's always great to catch up with Mike. As most of you know who are listening, Mike was the starting quarterback through much of 2005 to 2008. He's a record holder in many areas, which I'll mention during the podcast. He coached on the college level, high school level, and now he's the head coach of Don Bosco High School, a perennial powerhouse up in Ramsey, New Jersey. 
um, in that big North conference, they play against the likes of St. Peter's Prep, uh, St. Joe's, DePaul, it goes on and on, Paramus Catholic, Bergen Catholic, an unbelievably brutal schedule. And perhaps most of most interest to Rutgers fans is Mike is back at his alma mater there at Don Bosco, and he is surrounded by an unbelievable talent pool. So before I get to the interview, Bobby, I just want you to talk a little bit about that, what it means to have Mike Teal as the head man at such a powerful recruiting hotbed such as Don Bosco. I think it helps Rutgers tremendously, but Mike isn't the guy that's going to steer kids a certain way. He's going to give them, you know, the inf- best information possible, but it will also tell them about his experiences at Rutgers. And Mike has always been a class act. One of the things that sticks out to me most about Mike was when he was struggling during that 2008 season to begin. I think Rutgers was about one in five. He always took full responsibility and was just a class act. As a matter of fact, one of the my favorite articles that I've written in my t- my ten years here was about Mike at that time, and I actually called it a class act. And just his leadership, uh, you know, his accountability for his own play, it, it really signaled his potential as a coach in the future because those are the qualities that you want in a coach and he was a great leader at Rutgers just a a great kid grown into a great man all around and nothing but respect for Mikey I think he's going to do phenomenally at Don Bosco and it really doesn't hurt Rutgers to have that type of connection it's such a powerhouse yeah well with no further ado I'm going to bring us right into the Mike Teal interview and that's going to close us out today and I don't think there's any better way to close us out than talking to one of the most celebrated quarterbacks in recent Rutgers history and perhaps one of just the biggest supporters around the state and an all-around great guy. So here you go, folks, Mike Teal. Hello, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time since uh, you know I've talked to you in this capacity, and I just uh, want to thank you so much for coming on with me. But before we get going, I have to tell you a story. Um, as you know, I'm a third-grade teacher by day. And many years ago, when you were a student at Rutgers, um, there was a program going on where the players would go into the schools, and we were lucky enough to have you come into my classroom. And right before you left, well, first of all, while you were there, you hung out and you talked to all the kids, and you inspired them, and you threw a ball to each kid, and you signed the wall. You put a little message for us on a bulletin board. I made a special little Mike Teal bulletin board that actually stayed up up until last year, which you won't believe, the red paper on it turned pink by the time I got rid of it. But anyway, I'm telling you this story because last week, one of my students came back. She's a junior in college, and she walks in the room, and she walked right over to where that bulletin board used to be. And she said, where's the Mike Teal board? And <laughs> she is a junior at Cornell right now, and so she didn't go to Rockers, but she said that from that day, not only was she a Mike Teal fan, but she was a Rutgers fan, and she still follows Rutgers even though she chose another college. And I thought that was a great story and a great tribute, not only to the program that sent players out into the school, but just to the person who you are and how you could meet with someone for just a very short while and turn them into a lifelong fan. That's unbelievable. One, it makes you feel really old because she's a junior at Cornell. But, but... <laughs> But two, that that's awesome. Any anytime we can make anyone a Rutgers fan around here, it's a good day. So that that's a great story. I'm 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 really proud of that. That's good stuff. And I'm going to talk about that making Rutgers fans a little bit later. But um, 
As part of this podcast, I like to go by and look through the message board, see what people are talking about, and even solicit their questions. So some of the questions mm-hmm. that are coming directly from the ScarletNation.com roundtable message board users. And this first one I have for you is um, from a guy named Nyrad, and he says, what was running through your mind when you were first offered the head coaching position at Don Bosco? Uh, you know, a bunch of different things. I was I was surprised. I was excited. Uh, I was nervous. Um, obviously, in the high school football world, this opportunity is one of the best opportunities any high school coach could get. I mean, it's one of the premier high school football jobs in the country, not just in, in New Jersey, it's in the United States. So when when it came up and when I got the call from, from the athletic director and the director of the school, it was almost, you know, we'll take a deep breath and and say, well, shoot, you just were offered an opportunity that, that, you know, anyone in this state, anyone in this country would die for. So it was awesome. And then the, the really special part is the fact that it's my alma mater. It's a place where, you know, I grew up at and, you know, provided me opportunities and to be able to come back and, and now do that for, for these kids that, that I get to coach. It's pretty, it's pretty unique. It's special. You know, I'm sure there's been some changes at the school and also to the program since you left. Can you comment on that a little bit? Yeah, well, unfortunately for us, there hasn't been too much change to the school. It's still the same weight room that I was in. It's still the same locker room that I was in. So we've got to do some work from that aspect. Uh, but, you know, the the school itself and really as much as the school's changed uh, in perception-wise, it's also the, the North Jersey landscape has changed. Uh you know, when I was there, we played public schools. You know, we, you know, my senior night at Don Bosco, I played four plays in the entire game because we were we were playing schools that, frankly, we probably shouldn't have been playing with the level of team that we had. And now, you you know, we're opening up in Burns, South Carolina this year. We're traveling. We're flying. We're providing these kids opportunities. For, for some of them, it'll be a better opportunity and a better experience than their college football experience. So it's, it's changed a whole lot in that sense. Uh and really the landscape of what North Jersey parochial football has become. It's, it's become an arms race. It's become a, a really a, a one double a college football atmosphere. Uh, and, and that was not the case at all when I was in high school. Yeah. I know there was that stretch where Don Bosco was just so dominant. And right now you, th- you see the rise of Paramus Catholic and, you know, St. Joe's and Bergen Catholic are always good to pull always has a few top recruits. Uh, St. Peter's Prep. I mean, the, the list of schools that you have to face and how strong they are and where they sit on the national stage is just unbelievable. Is that intimidating for you? It's not intimidating. It's, it's exciting. That That's why I originally came back to Bosco. But like you said, it's, you know, we, we play nine games and we could lose nine games, you know, just based on the teams that we play. Everyone has good players. Everyone's well coached. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're always looking for you know, how do, how do I get an advantage here? How do we gain an advantage there? And, and that's what makes coaching fun. You know, that's why, that's why guys try to go and coach at the highest level in the NFL because of the competitiveness of, of the level of play. And, and it's the same thing here in a little bit, you know, smaller sense. But, you know, if you coach, you want to coach to coach against the best and you want to try to coach the best players possible. And, you know, I think that's what we have at, at Bosco. We, we get to play some of the best teams in, in the country. Uh, the best teams in the state, and and we get to every week have to put a plan together that's going to give us a chance to go out and you know compete against the best. 
That reminds me a bit of the situation at Rutgers, and you know, you were on the sidelines watching this go by because you know came back as a coach at the school, and um, with Rutgers now going to the Big Ten East and the, the rise in competition, you know, how how do you see that playing out for the Scarlet Knights, and just what does it mean for the program that you were so instrumental in helping rise? Well, you know, again, I think the opportunity being that conference, it's it's the best conference in the country, and you know. Fortunately and unfortunately for us, it's, you know, the, the three best teams in the conference are on our side. So you've got to line up and play those guys every year. But it comes down to the same thing. You know, recruits and, and teams and players want to play against the best, and, and that's what you're getting. Um, you know, and there's always a, a transition period that you have to go through as, as you, you know, move and you change some stuff and you go to different places. And, you know, we'll go through that for a little bit. But, you know, at the end of the day, the the more you can recruit and the better job you do, you know, keeping players around, the you know, the more games you're going to win. You know, I'm sure that you know you've seen recruiting from different standpoints at this point. You've seen it as a high school player. You've seen it as a college coach at several different levels. You're seeing it now as a high school coach. Uh, how has that changed since the days when you were a recruit? From when my time being recruited to now it's it's not even close to the same process um you know now kids are getting offers in eighth grade Uh, it's just the the game has changed uh so much in the recruiting aspect you know it's it's a business and it's a lot more of a business now than when i was younger uh you know coaches are, are coaching for their for their livelihoods for their jobs they're recruiting for you know their livelihoods to put food on the table for their parents and and that's how it's they they've taken to it. They've taken to it, you know, from a from a financial, from a you know, livelihood standpoint. And unfortunately, I think for the kids, a lot of times they they kind of get caught in in the business side of what college football's become and what recruiting's become. Now, at the same time, you look at it from the student athlete's perspective, they're getting a free education, and you know they're they're coming out of college without any debt and without any student loans. So it's a double-edged sword, but it's it's different world than when I was in high school and I got my first offer uh the third game of my junior year I committed uh in July going into my senior year I've got a freshman on my team now that has nine offers already uh, you know so it's just it's just a different it's just a different game it really is right if at the time that you committed if you had committed at that time now that would be considered a late commitment <laughs> by some people <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. It's just, it's so different from what it used to be, you know, and I think part of it is, you know, all these recruiting services and these combines and these events and these kids, their names get out young is to me, how do you know what a 14 or 15 year old kid is going to look like when he's 18? You know, there's some kids obviously that are can't miss kids that, you know, but majority of high school kids, they, from the time they're freshmen to juniors are two completely different kids. And, you know, if you have a late developing kid, who's a junior who plays his first, you know, football as a junior, and then, you know, has a great senior year, he probably misses out on a couple opportunities because he's already a senior, which back when I was being recruited, that would have been, you know, perfect. Yeah. We have a hard time getting the juniors out sometimes to the combines because they don't need to be seen anymore. I remember the days back when you were being recruited if you came out to the junior combine, you could be a literal unknown and end up being one of the top 100 players in the country. By this point, there are very few unknown commodities by the time someone hits the spring junior combines. Yeah, and, and the, you see it with 
with the recruiting, you know, now from the high school perspective where I am with the college coaches coming into us is, you know, if, if they're not on film and, and not playing by a certain point in their year, they're, the, the schools are filled up, you know, like take Ohio State, for example, because Coach Giano's there. He came in there. They have, they have two or three spots left. They're recruiting one kid from the school. They came in to see one of our players, and that was it. Uh, you know, and the same goes for, for Rutgers and, and all the other bigger schools. But it's just it's such a different landscape from, from what it used to be. And, you know, we've had to evolve. And, you know, I've been fortunate because I've been at it at different levels now in college and, and here in high school. So I've seen it from, from all different sides, which you know, I think is unique. And for our guys, I, I would say is a major benefit for my players compared to some of the other places because, you know, I've been through it all as both a coach and a player. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's a great benefit to a player under your tutelage there that you could say, hey, I've been in your shoes before. Yeah, and, and for each kid, the process is different. There's no exact science to it. You know, you know, a kid like Tyler Friday, he, he started as a sophomore, and, you know, he had, you know, big-time offers by the end of his sophomore year. We have a couple other kids, Tyler Williams and, and Chris Donnelly at Bosco right now, who are going through the camp circuit now, and, and they're just getting their first offers now going into their senior year. So it's, it's different for each kid. There's no exact science, but, you know, being – part of it at the college level and, and seeing what staff meetings are like when they're talking about recruits, uh, I think is a huge advantage. Now, sticking to this topic of recruiting, I want to go to a question from one of our Scarlet Nation users. He goes by the nickname Scarlet New Yorker 2006. And he says, when one of your Don Bosco players verbally commits, how do you think you'll react when he wants to visit other schools? And how do you feel about kids securing placeholder spots before conducting a wider search? And this is back to me now speaking. Um, you know, I guess you've seen a lot of that these days because the pressure is to commit earlier and earlier. Kids do commit early, but then other options appear for them. And, um, you know, I just was wondering, and this user was wondering, how do you approach that? How do you counsel someone who's in that situation? I think you need to be informed first and foremost. You, you need to you need to do research on the school. You need to do research on the coaches. Uh, and, and ultimately, if you're, if you're a younger kid that, commits early if you're comfortable with it I, I don't think there's any negative to that um you know because again it goes back to there there's a double-edged sword because say a kid commits to Rutgers, for example hypothetically he commits to Rutgers in september going into his junior year uh Rutgers doesn't do well and they fire the staff his junior year going into his senior year he's a commit and he's been committed for a year but the new staff comes in and they don't like him or they don't want him or they're not going to honor a scholarship now he's back to playing the whole recruiting game and trying to catch up from the last two years from from you know being a committed recruit to now having to find a place so you know, it works from that standpoint, but then it also works from the standpoint of, you know, you have a, a kid who, who commits early to whether it's a Division One school or a 1AA school or an Ivy League school, and, you know, another opportunity comes up. And if they're informed and they do their, their homework and they do it the right way, I think it's part of the game. Would I, would I tell a kid to do that a bunch? No. I, I think there's a point where there's loyalty involved and, and you have to – you know, again, make a smart, informed decision. But at the same time, you know, with what the recruiting games become now, you have to you have to protect yourself as a student athlete, as a you know, as a scholarship player. There is a sense of you know having to protect yourself at the same token. 
Now, a couple of fans wanted to know what your current level of involvement and communication is with the Rutgers program and staff. Are you down there often? Do you speak to the new staff? Uh, I'm not as down there as much as I would like, you know, especially for being so close just because of my responsibilities up here. Uh, I was able to get down to two or three spring practices. Um, we'll go down there in a couple of weeks um, for the for the passing tournament. Um, so, you know, it's my home. It's, it's a place that I love and care about and, and want all the best for. So uh, I try to get down there as much as I can. It's just schedule-wise, you know, with the commitment level up here, it, it makes it hard to do it as much as you'd like. Um, as far as my uh, my relationship or, you know, the ability to talk to the coaches down there. I've had nothing but good experiences with them. Uh, I speak to Coach Ash, you know, pretty frequently. Um, also, it helps that, you know, they're recruiting a bunch of my players. Um, but I, I speak with those guys. I, I've gone down. I, I sat in a meeting one, you know, one day and listened to some football stuff. Um, Coach Bush and Coach Till came up during this spring period, early in the spring period. So I had a chance to sit down with, with Coach Kill and, you know, talk some football about some of the stuff that he's done in his past, what he's trying to do, you know, with the personnel they have down there this year. Um, and then and then they came back up uh, towards the end of the period. You know, it's, it's, it's hard because you, you want them in as much as you can, but then the NCAA has, has rules so they, they can't be there more than two times or whatever the rule is as far as the spring evaluation period. So when you can't get down there, you know, you'd like them to come up as much as they can. And, and they do, and, and they're working at it. You know, I think the biggest thing with, with them is, you know, not having a, a ton of uh, ties and connections early on. So the building of relationships is, is what they did early. And I think they did a really good job. They were out. They were hosting clinics. They were doing different things with high school coaches. But like anything else, you know, relationships are, are what really matter around here. And, and you know, I think they're – still in the process of, of building those relationships, but I think that they're working at it. You mentioned that the rules are tightening a little bit. I remember when you were a recruit, if, was it Mark D'Onofrio who was recruiting you down there? It was, yep. I remember him being down at Don Bosco. Basically, I think he told me one time that he was sleeping uh, in the gymnasium there on, on the stands, just making sure he was always around, seeing you know that you could see him, and people knew that he was you know, a presence down there. Uh, and I just know he had a strong connection with you, and you had a strong connection with him, if I recall. Yeah, and, and that was pretty instrumental in, in you know, me going there. Obviously, Coach Ciano, you know, had had a lot to do with it. But, but if it wasn't for Coach Nafio uh, and the relationship that him and I had, it, it probably would have ended up somewhere else. So, you know, it's an important piece of it. That, that'll never change. That'll always be true with, with high school football and, and college football is that, relationships are key and relationships are, are what eventually, you know, win your recruits. And, you know, that's what, what Coach Nafio was so good at. And that's what, you know, Coach Ciano and a couple of his guys were so good at. And that's what, you know, Coach Ash and his guys are, are continuing to work on, I think. I, recruiting is something you either have or you don't have. And I saw D'Onofrio in that way, particularly when you would comment on how hard he was recruiting you and how he made you feel in terms of how valued you were. And, I've seen staffs that did not get it done across the college football landscape or individual <laughs> coaches who didn't get it done. And it's just that little extra something that they put into it. And, you know, I just, I don't know if it can be developed. I think you have it or you don't have it. 
Yeah, and, and again, it's a lot different now, too, because there's, there's always constant communication. Back when I was being recruited, there wasn't Twitter, there wasn't Facebook, there wasn't, you know, everything else that, that you use, you know, and really a college coach can be in contact, except for a dead period, he can be in contact with a recruit, you know, 24-7. So, you know, it's definitely a lot different. So, you know, to me, nowadays, what do you do to separate yourself? How, how, how are you just not the coach who's sending a recruit a message on, on Twitter? How, how are you really, you know, making yourself different from everyone else? And I think those are the guys, I don't know what that answer is, but I think those are the guys that are, are the ones who are, you know, the labeled the great recruiters. You know, it's in your position you're in right now. I think you have that element of recruiting too, because you have to, every player who goes to Don Bosco, you have to pull them in in some capacity. I'm sure the school sells itself in many ways. But also people come in, they meet the head coach. I used to see Coach Toll on the sidelines talking to kids who were thinking about going to Don Bosco. And, you know, has that been an, a smooth transition for you, given your experience on the college level, or has it been a little bit of an adjustment? Um, yes and no. Adjustments, yes, but but also the transition has been smooth because I've done that on the college level. And, you know, I kind of knew coming into it what it was going to be like. Uh, you know, it is a little bit different in, in high school because, you know, you're, you're not actively, you know, going out and re- recruiting someone. For the most part, you know, they're, the school's selling itself and, and they're, they're having an opportunity to, to experience what the school offers. And, and, you know, football is just one part of the school. And, uh, you know, again, the landscape has changed a little bit. And there are different reasons for different people, you know, coming to, to a, you know, a Catholic school in North Jersey. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, the the kid needs to be happy. And if he's just coming to Don Bosco for football, he's not going to be happy uh, because football is only a part of the experience of, of any school. And, you know, I think the, the kids that come to Bosco, you know, come for a couple of different reasons. They come for the, the Catholic educa- education. They come for the discipline. They come for, you know, the environment in the, in the school being an old boy setting where they're able to, to focus on their grades and fit, focus on their classwork. So there, there's a multitude of things that, you know, kids come to Bosco for. And, you know, we just had a 196 kids graduate. And, you know, of those 196 kids, there were, there were 25 football players. So, you know, it makes up a really small majority of the school. So, you know, what the school offers is what sells the school. And that's the difference. Whereas, you know, in college football, you have 85 scholarships. You're giving out 15 scholarships this year. You know, they're coming for the most part to, to play football. You know, you know, you can say, call it what it is. They're, they're getting a degree and, and, you know, they'll have opportunities after school. But when you're playing college football, you're playing college football. Now, of course, Rutgers fans want more Don Bosco players to come their way. The school has been good to them in recent years with yourself, Gary Nova, Darius Hamilton, Leontay Peru. And, you know, looking across the record books right now, you and Gary Nova are all at the top of every single category, with you in particular being at the top of career passing yards at Rutgers, single season passing yards at Rutgers, single game passing yards at Rutgers, single season passing touchdowns, single game passing touchdowns. Gary's up there. I think he has you in one statistical category, which is career touchdowns. Uh, How does Rutgers make themselves an even bigger uh, option for these Don Bosco football players? Uh, You know, I think at the end of the day, you got to win games. That that was, you know, what, Coach Chiano, when he, when I went through the recruiting process with him was, you know, there was a vision, but there's got to be proof to the vision. At some point, you know, you have to win. Um, 
you know, to, to be able to, to sell those, you know, elite recruits that you're looking for. But, but also I think that there's a, there's a fit that needs to be. And, and, you know, we have really good players at Don Bosco, but not every Bosco kid is going to be a great fit for Rutgers. Um, you know, I think the kids that, that are good fits, those are the ones that go on to be really successful. You know, I think Gary and I were both really good fits. Obviously, Leontay and Darius, you know, a couple of the other guys that have been down there. You know, Mike Maetti is there now. I think he's a great fit, um, you know, be, because there's an academic piece to the piece of the school. There's an athletic piece. There's a social piece. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into being a student athlete, especially, you know, at, at a Big Ten school and just being a football player. So, you know, I think as they go through it, you know, you got to find the right fits. And obviously you want the best players possible. Uh, but at the end of the day, the, the kid needs to feel comfortable with, with the place from an academic standpoint, from a athletic standpoint, from a social standpoint. And, you know, you'll get some and, and some others might not be great fits. Well, Mike, I want to thank you so much for coming on. You're a busy man, and I know your love of Rutgers always shines through, which is why the fans really enjoy it. And I hope you come back on our message board. I know you have a login. I, I loved your old name. We used to come on back when you were in high school, and I always see that <laughs> Iron Man 14, 14, 14 at the top of the board, and I knew that either you were reading or a fa- family member was reading. Uh, but we know you're on there, and we'd love to see you pop in every once in a while and say hello to the fans. But even if you can't do that, we're glad you came on the podcast. I will, I will do my best to, to make more of a presence because it's always a good time talking with Rutgers fans. They're the best. All right. Thank you so much, Mike. All right, John. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, folks, that's the end of our podcast today. I want to thank Bobby Darren for being with me and, of course, Mike Teal. We're having fun with this podcast, Two Down, and looking forward to many more. Please, folks, spend some time on the Rutgers message board at scarletnation.com. Join us over on the roundtable. We'd love to hear from you. Love to hear your ideas for upcoming shows, upcoming guests, questions to ask, and anything else that's on your mind. So for all of us here at scarletnation.com, thanks again.